turning to Matthew chapter 7. So we'll actually be finishing the Sermon on the Mount here this evening. This is message number 19 in our series through Matthew entitled The Law of Christ. And we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 29. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So verses 13 to 20 that we looked at um, this morning begins this series of contrasts that concludes the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus ends his teaching, he focuses again on who will enter his kingdom and who will not. And of course, it's made plain that entering means life and not entering means fiery destruction. So Jesus warns here that there are two ways, one narrow and one broad. And people assume that either way will lead them to the kingdom. But the truth is the narrow and difficult way leads to life and the broad and easy way leads to destruction. Well, not only are there two ways, but there are also false prophets who deceive many about which way leads to life. These false teachers can, of course, be hard to detect or discern, but Jesus said that the fruit of their lives um, and their teaching reveal them. So being warned about such false prophets with the stakes, you might say, being entering the kingdom, well, that means that we have to be diligent. We have to discern whether they speak according to God's word or not. Now, again, um, it's always helpful to remember that just agree, disagreeing with someone on, on some point about what Scripture teaches and, and means doesn't mean that that person is a false teacher. Um, the tests that we have in Scripture are generally related to such things as the Godhead. We might say the Trinity or the person and work of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation, justification by faith, and those sorts of things in particular are sort of tests of false teaching. So again, not every disagreement means that a person's a false teacher. And so we have to have wisdom and we certainly have to be 
discerning concerning that. And obviously the implication again being the stakes are entering the kingdom. So there are those that are, that are misleading people concerning entering the kingdom. Well, verses 21 to 29 now that we look at give us this final ending of the sermon. And Jesus has a couple of contrasts here to finish up. And once again, the reality is that not everyone who claims to be in that narrow way leading to life really is. John's first epistle deals a lot with evaluating claims of faith, people claiming to love God, people claiming to believe in Jesus Christ and to have um, fellowship with him and, and so on. And so Jesus shows us that it's not just the hearing of his words, but the hearing and doing that shows a true disciple. So by the end, we're told how that the crowd was astonished. Jesus' teaching was different, and we really need to look at what it meant that Jesus taught having authority. So verses 21 to 23 is where Jesus um, commands to, to say and, and do, or to hear and do, rather. In verses 24 to 29, where Jesus gives the illustration of the wise and the foolish builders, which is the conclusion of the entire Sermon on the Mount. So we'll start here with the first part about hearing and doing. Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, Jesus beginning here by saying, Not everyone shows that there are many that make this confession. Jesus, Lord, Lord, Master, Master. But not everyone who makes this confession actually enters the kingdom. That's what Jesus begins by saying. There are some who do, and there are some who don't, even though both groups, you could say, make this confession that Jesus is Lord. Well, calling Jesus Lord and Master is not enough alone to enter into the kingdom. If you remember um, the, the account there in, in the book of Acts about those um, sons of, of Sceva uh, who were attempting to um, cast out demons by the, uh, the name of Jesus and, and of Paul as if they could just sort of throw those things around as, as you know, magical formulas or something um, that the demons would have to obey. Well, just simply calling Christ Lord is not enough. It's those who confess, and Jesus says, do the will of his Father. Now, here's a, a good place for us just, just to step aside for a moment and to think about what we recently studied in the letter from James. It really helps us to keep um, faith and fruit in the right order. And we talked about that a good bit when we were going through that letter. So we know that Jesus is not here saying that we are saved by keeping commandments. It certainly is not what he is saying, whether he would be talking about old covenant law commandments or new covenant law commandments. He's, he's not saying that we are saved that way. And James helped us to see that a profession without practice, which is what Jesus is here talking about, Someone just simply saying, Lord, Lord, but not doing 
the will of the Father, that's a profession without a practice, James shows how that that is empty and dead. That's worthless, essentially. A true faith, as James showed, always produces fruit, though not perfection in this life. And so this really is what Jesus is talking about and James explains in that letter. So one cannot confess Jesus as Lord and then ignore, neglect, or refuse to keep his word and truly be saved. So someone could, oh, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, um, but I don't really like what he had to say about adultery and murder and theft and lying, and so I'm going to go ahead and, and enjoy all of those to my heart's desire. Well, there's something wrong. Something doesn't line up here between those two. Of course, that was the comparison, the contrast that James was making, and Jesus is saying essentially the same thing in a lot of ways here. Now, you notice this expression also. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. And that is in the future tense. Entering the kingdom is something that will happen in the future when the kingdom comes after judgment. And we'll see that in this passage as well as we see that in in the rest of the gospel as well. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? So Jesus expands here now talking about entry into the kingdom. And it will be after the judgment of that day. Now, Jesus, by referring to that day after which some will enter into the kingdom and some will not, is clearly um, future, and it is clearly associated with judgment. In fact, the reference that day appears more than seven times in Matthew. So it's in chapter 10 and verse 15, chapter 24 in verse 19, 22, 29, 36, and 50, in chapter 26 and verse number 55. And these are references that are associated with future events, the day of the Lord, tribulation, and the return of Christ, judgment, and the kingdom, and so on. And so Jesus is clearly referring to that future time of judgment. And says, many will say in that day, and they will claim their works. Notice what he says, that they prophesied in his name. The word used there does refer to uh, foretelling of, of future events, speaking by divine inspiration. In other words, claiming that uh, they've received a message from God that they are um, delivering and speaking forward. Casting out devils or, or demons, evil spirits that have um, possessed people. And wonderful works. Now, wonderful works just sounds um, great and lovely. When you look at the actual underlying expression, what it is referring to is actually powerful miracles is what they're claiming, that they have worked powerful miracles in addition to prophesying and casting out devils. And all these, they say, they've done in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, as if adding his name to something, um, you know, sanctifies it and and makes it okay well here's the result verse 23 and then will i profess unto them i never knew you depart from me ye that work 
iniquity. In other words, Jesus says they will be judged. Remember when this is. It's in that day, that future day, that future time of judgment, his, the day of the Lord, his return, judgment, and his kingdom. Now, Jesus, we don't get a lot of, of elaboration here, but we don't see here where he's denying that what they may or may not have done as far as any sort of miracle that they may have performed or whatever the case may be. But what he does state is that he never knew them. In other words, he never had any covenant relationship with them. Regardless of whatever works they may have done, regardless of of whatever name they may have attached to the works that they did, regardless of, of whatever confession that they may have made or said about Jesus, he never knew them. So whatever they've done, they've actually done it apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, that they did work iniquity. Now, that word is, is uh, uh, interesting in the, uh, in the Greek, anomia, um, which uh, namos is, is law, ah would be that um, negating article, ah, anomia, which would mean against or without law. Perhaps these workers of iniquity, as he says, these, these that are without or against law, perhaps they are hypocrites who did what they did to be seen by men. We know that in chapter 6, Jesus warned about that in a number of ways. Those that that performed their works in order to be seen and to be applauded and to receive whatever rewards that they receive also said that's all the rewards that they would receive. They would receive no rewards. When? At that future judgment. Well, if they were hypocrites such as that, they'll be shocked to find out that while they may have been applauded by men and women on the earth, they may have even gathered themselves a great following of followers, but nevertheless they will not be applauded by Jesus, but rather they will be cast out. And this term for workers of iniquity is actually a term used quite frequently in the Old Testament. And, and it's used, the equivalent uh, Hebrew word is used, to refer to rebellious unbelievers who, who scoffed and rejected God's law to their own doom. Now, though it's not stated specifically here, notice what the judgment is. Departing from Christ. In other words, you, you will have no part with Christ. You, you will have nothing in or with him. Departing from of Christ is here is equivalent to what we've seen as the alternative to entering the kingdom throughout this Sermon on the Mount. In other words, destruction, hell fire, has been mentioned. And recall, remember that entering the kingdom is what is at stake. Well, then we proceed to the final conclusing part of this sermon, beginning in verse twenty-four where Jesus speaks about wise and foolish builders. Verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So this is the concluding illustration. Therefore, he's he's bringing it all together now and is illustrating it with these builders. Now he's speaking here 
in light of the law that he has given. He says, these sayings of mine, these commandments, these words of mine, whoever whoever does them. He's talking once again in light of the commandments he has given and in light of the future judgment before entering the kingdom. So in some ways, this illustration about these two builders and, and these two houses are parallels to the two gates and the two ways that we saw earlier. And here again, notice where the emphasis is. The emphasis is on hearing and doing, not just hearing only. Once again, this reminds us of the letter from James. And as we looked at the letter from James, we we made a number of of observations of the parallels with uh, the Sermon on the Mount in in particular, and it really is uh, a wonderful companion, you might say, uh, to read along with the Sermon on the Mount and to um, help understand um, the teaching of Jesus as well. The hearer and the doer is where Jesus starts and says that that one is like a wise man who built his house on a solid foundation. So a a good, adequate, and proper foundation for a building is typically not easy, and it's not cheap. But it makes all the difference in terms of the stability and the longevity of the structure that is built on top of the foundation. Well, the wise man, and that word there, uh, it, it means prudent, it means understanding, it means uh, it can even just simply point to intelligence. The wise man understands this, and he understands that, that if, if, if it's worth doing to build this house, then it's worth doing right. It's worth taking the time and the trouble to do it properly. And so the one that hears and does the words of Jesus is being compared to the one that is wise in building the building, taking the time and the trouble to put it on a proper foundation. Verse 25, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, when we keep this in context of what we are reading here, then the rain and the wind and the flood are obviously references to this, again, this future judgment. This house was built on a proper foundation, which would point to hearing and doing the words of Christ. So the result is, it didn't fall down, but it stood firm. Then we get to the contrast in verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. So everyone who hears but doesn't do Jesus' words can be compared to a foolish builder. Now, the foolish man, we're told, built his house on sand. And the term here can refer to heaped sand. It would be like a beach um, or... Uh, could simply refer to just very sandy ground. But either way, it's unstable and it's unsuitable for the foundation for a house. Now, of course, this house would have been much quicker 
and much easier and much cheaper to construct than the house that's built on a proper foundation. But no matter how much care that might be taken to align and level the floor, no matter how expensive and fine the finishes of this house might have been, the house was doomed to fall because it wasn't built on a proper foundation. And so this is why this man is called foolish. He's taken these shortcuts, and maybe he's built what at first looks like a very fine house, but it's a, again, it's a house that is doomed to fall. We'll look at verse 27. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So again, the elements of judgment came, and this time the house didn't stand, but it fell down with a crashing downfall, and that's what the words that are used there indicate. So this is the, this is the grand climax of this Sermon on the Mount, and it is the warning of what awaits those who do not prepare for the coming kingdom with repentance faith, and obedience to Christ's words. Remember how that Matthew's gospel began in the early parts. John the Baptist comes preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. Jesus comes preaching the the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom is at hand, and repent, preaching this preparation for the king and the kingdom. And so this is what Jesus is, is building to in this sermon, that he comes to the end of it, to prepare for the king and the kingdom. Then verse 28, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. So Matthew indicates here, and and the word that he uses for ended, this phrase that he used, that Jesus had ended these sayings, Matthew uses a, a term here that indicates Jesus completely finished his sayings. In other words, what we have here in, in, in Matthew, uh, what we know as chapters 5, 6, and 7, what we have here is a complete sermon, or, or it is a, a whole body of instruction or teaching that was given. Clearly, it had a place that Jesus intended to begin. It had the, the section of, of the middle that Jesus intended to teach, and it built toward this climax that Jesus intended to end this sermon or body of teaching with. It was fully ended or fully complete. It's a whole message that Jesus gave. Now, this word for people that he uses here, Actually, the word indicates a crowd. It indicates a, a throng or a multitude, even as it sometimes is translated. So Jesus had his disciples here that were listening to him, but he also had a large multitude of people um, from all these different regions, as we read about earlier in, in the chapter of Ma- in, uh, Matthew's gospel, all these multitudes of people who heard this Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew adds, they were astonished. And the way that, uh, that this is expressed means that they were, they were in a continued state of amazement. The word for doctrine that is used there, and it, and it is a noun, 
And it refers to teaching or instruction. It's referring not to the act of teaching, but it's referring to the content of what was taught. And they were astonished by the substance of what Jesus said. And then verse 29. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Matthew now explains their astonishment at Jesus' teaching as having authority and not as the scribes. So the scribes, obviously, they were the teachers of the Old Covenant law um, to the people of Israel. Uh, The scribes were the professional copyists of the Old Testament. They were considered to be experts in it. Um, And many commentaries at this point say that the scribes customarily taught the people by quoting many different rabbis and referring to different rabbinical traditions throughout history and the different rabbis' interpretations of the Old Testament, particularly as it applied to the Old Covenant law. And so they believe that Matthew's point is that Jesus taught without referring to traditional rabbinical sources, and that was what amazed the people. Well, and that certainly, on on first hearing of that, that seems plausible. It, It sounds... Um, possible, but of course that's importing something in here. Matthew didn't say all that. He just simply said that they were astonished because Jesus taught as having authority and not as the scribes. Well, there's really no need to import something into this passage to interpret it, so rather we want to get out of the passage what it actually says to understand what is meant. So what does it mean that Jesus taught as having authority, and it certainly is here. So again, Jesus ended. He made, it, he made a complete end of these sayings. This is a full body of teaching that Jesus in, intended to give. So looking at this sermon as a whole, in what way does it suggest to us, or how can we see that Jesus taught as having authority? Well, 13 times in this sermon, Jesus said something to the effect of, I'm saying to you, I'm telling you, I am commanding you, I am instructing you. Somewhere around five times, he refers to his words, his sayings that they are responsible and accountable to keep. And depending on how you count them, when you go through the whole body of this sermon, there are somewhere around 60 commands that Jesus gave in this sermon. And he clearly makes entering into the kingdom to be contingent upon hearing and keeping his words. Now, if we look specifically just at this passage that we looked at here this evening, beginning with with verse number 21. Notice what he says. And and it's so easy to become used to uh, many of these passages and just sort of breeze right over them without really taking in the effect of what Jesus is actually saying here. 
Jesus says, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that calls him Jesus of Nazareth, sitting on this hill in rural Galilee, speaking to his disciples and multitudes of, of Jews that come from all these regions around, and he tells them at the end, in the conclusion of this long sermon of teaching, that not everyone that calls me Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, this parallels with chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, where he talked about even the least of his commandments must be kept in order to enter the kingdom when it comes. But not only this, calling Jesus Lord, Lord, is actually an expression of deity. It is equivalent to the use of Yahweh in the Old Testament. Clearly, it means calling Jesus God or confessing him as God. And this is further, uh, or it's furthered by the fact that he equates the hearing and doing of his words to doing the will of my Father which is in heaven. And also notice there in verse 21, he used the personal possessive. He said, my Father. He didn't say your Father, the Father, our Father. He said, doing the will of my Father which is in heaven. So using this personal possessive, and if you would actually trace it out in, in just in Matthew's gospel alone, when Jesus uses that personal possessive, my father, it's always in reference to his deity. In fact, it's something that offended the Pharisees greatly because they said, you're making yourself equal with God to say such a thing. How, how, could a, how could a mere man, a man of Galilee, a man of Nazareth, no doubt, a man whose mother and, and sisters and, and brothers that we know, a man that was supposed to be the son of the, of the carpenter, how could he say such a thing? That's blasphemy. He said, my father. Again, equating his words, his sayings, his commands with doing the will of his father in heaven. He, refused, he referred to future judgment in that day. But not only did he refer to future judgment, notice how he said it. Now we're looking at verses 22 and 23. He said, they'll say to me. There's many that are going to say to me in that day, that future day of the Lord that's been spoken of by so many prophets in the Old Testament. In that day, Jesus says, they're going to stand and they're going to speak to me and say, Lord, Lord, again, oh, we've prophesied your name, cast out devils in your name, done powerful miracles in your name. But what does he say? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. He says, I will reject them. I will condemn them to depart from me. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, I am the judge of that day. I am the one that you will stand before in that day. 
I'm the one that everyone must answer to. And condemnation means what? Means departing from Jesus. That's what he says. He goes on to specify, as we go on in this passage that we looked at this evening, he goes on to specify that hearing and doing his words, these sayings of mine, Jesus said, hearing and doing his words is necessary to avoid the crashing downfall of the sand foundation house. So if we think about it, Jesus clearly, in this Sermon on the Mount, reveals his divinity. In this teaching, he acted as lawgiver. The lawgiver, in fact, that was prophesied to Judah. The prophet that was greater than Moses that was promised to come. And his new covenant law also sort of winds up here setting forth two ways, just like Moses did with the old covenant law before that second generation of Israel, before he died and before they entered the land. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. Moses said, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in, thy la- in the land whither thou go to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, that ye shall not prolong your day Uh, your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And if you notice the contrast even between Jesus and Moses, he's the greater prophet. Moses said, God's going to send you, and he said, you must listen to him. Moses didn't say, my words. Moses said, his words. That's what I've commanded. I've commanded his words today. Jesus says, I've commanded my words to you that you must hear and do if you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, so when we look at what Jesus had to say in this Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew says he taught as having authority. He spoke as king and lawgiver here on this mountain in Galilee. Not only did the scribes not talk that way, they did not talk that way. John the Baptist didn't talk that way. Neither did Moses talk that way? Nor Isaiah, nor Jeremiah, nor Daniel, or Ezekiel, and on and on and on, all the prophets that we have their words. They did not talk that way. You know what else? Peter didn't talk that way. John didn't talk that way. Paul didn't talk that way. No man ever talked that way except the God-man, Jesus Christ, who clearly showed himself to be divine, equal with God. 
giving commands that he calls the will of God in heaven. So this is what it meant that he spoke as one having authority, not as the scribes. We could even add, not as the prophets, not as the apostles. He spoke as the Son of God. So the Sermon on the Mount is the law that Christ commanded through his role as new covenant lawgiver that was prophesied even all the way back in Genesis chapter number 49. And it is for this present new covenant age where his followers must expect difficulty and persecution. And he established here that he gave law that is the will of God. He is God's son, making him one with the Father. Again, the Pharisees were horribly offended by him saying such a thing. That there is a, he established that there is a future judgment prior to entering into the kingdom, and he is the judge. That he is divine, that he must be confessed as God, and his commandments obeyed. Jesus also warned in this sermon about hypocrites and about false prophets, and if you think about it, false disciples as well, foolish builders. They may have different things to commend them, but they're actually anti-law of Christ and are heading for destruction in judgment. But those who believe and keep his word will enter into the kingdom and will enjoy all of the prophesied blessings of that time. Oh, and yes, there's much more to come on this as we get later into Matthew's gospel.